When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one film at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining us for this very special episode, well, we were. <laughs> where we will be discussing the 1986 film Hearts of Fire, starring Fiona, Rupert Everett, and of course, Bob Dylan is the uh, person whose Twitter account uh, reads as such, Hearts of Fire Stan account, Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. I just need to say, uh, it's 1987, Rob. It, what? What's 1987? That's when, when the, the film was... Re- yeah, you said 1986. Well, it was filmed in 86. Okay. It was released... <laughs> it was released... Oh, this is... You this don't is do work. it from when it's filmed. It's when it's released. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Oh, we're starting off on a bit. This is going to be a very contentious episode, I believe. So I, I have so many things to ask you, Rebecca, yes. but, but I, my main leadoff question is why? Why this film? Why, why a Hearts of Fire Stan account, Rebecca? Why? Well, you please explain yourself, young lady. Sure. Of course. Um, so I'm actually a relatively new Bob fan. Um, and I'm a young person. And so I I was kind of intimidated joining the sort of Bob fandom, even though everyone's really nice. I was worried that it would seem like, I don't know, I don't I don't really know everything yet. Um, Nobody does. Yeah. But um, with Hearts of Fire, I was like, this is my niche. I can I can really (laughs) zero in on this and I can become the best at this one really stupid movie. I am someone who like I love terrible movies it's just so fun to like go through it and say what were all the decisions that led to this being made and it's mind-boggling I mean I'm someone who saw the film Cats in theaters like five times because it's just so fun it's just so fun to like make fun of it and talk about it with people so that's that's my history with Hearts of Fire that's a very reasonable way to look at it. I, you know, like the big fish in a very, very tiny pond. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, very smart. So, well, right, let's wind back a little. How did you become a fan of Bob in general before we even get to Hearts of Fire? Yeah. Um, so at the beginning of quarantine in like April, I was finishing up my last semester of college and it was my first semester of Zoom University, that lovely, <laughs> lovely uh, online classes. Uh, and I was watching the documentary, I Am Not Your Negro. And I got, I saw Bob in that and I was like, oh, this is someone who's like important to history. And it seems like the 60s were a time that sort of paralleled the current time. So I just wanted to kind of learn more about, you know, Bob Dylan as a figure in culture. And so I I watched Don't Look Back 
And then I was like, oh, this, this guy is a little interesting. This guy, (laughs) this guy is a little special. And I just like fell down the rabbit hole. I watched all of the movies and including Hearts of Fire um, and started listening to all the albums. And so that's, that's been my, my sort of quarantine obsession. Wow. Now, do you have a particular sort of era of his that musically that you found you like the most? Well, it's hard to say because I'm not really like through all of it yet. But mm. um, I mean, I love I love the Rolling Thunder uh, stage persona of Bob. I'm obsessed with how wild it was and how, how stupid and crazy that era was. <laughs> It certainly was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, okay. I mean, I have to say, when I discovered Hearts of Fire, when I was getting into Bob and learning all I could, and I, I had, I think I had known that he had, I certainly knew that he had been in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, mm-hmm. and I had seen that at some point, and I had seen Don't Look Back, and I knew that he had dabbled in films, but I, I had heard about this Hearts of Fire movie, and, and I don't remember when I first saw it, probably in the 90s when I worked at a video store, and we had it. We had it in the store. And I took it home. Uh, I, can, I can remember watching it, and I just remember thinking, "What <laughs> is this? Why was?" I mean, again, now at the time I was watching it, you're thinking this had to have been around ninety two, ninety three. So at that point, Bob had sort of come out of that that trough of the eighties that he had been in. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I just could not get over the idea that the great Bob Dylan <laughs> was wasting his time. Yeah. In this nonsense, in this, you know, sorry, let's give a little bit of the background of the the film. It was directed, of course, by Richard Marquand, Mm. uh, who is most famous for directing Return of the Jedi, of course. Uh, But, um, you know, he directed some other, I mean, I like Return of the Jedi. I actually think that's a a fun movie. He he directed some other genuinely good movies as well. He directed Jagged Edge with uh, Jeff Bridges and Eye of the Needle, a really great thriller with Donald Sutherland. So Richard Marquand was certainly capable, uh, a capable director. Um, this film was his final film. He died, I think, like less than a year after completing it, mm-hmm. uh, which seems and, and he was like in his 40s, too. Yeah. I mean, so that's very tragic. Uh, it was written by two people, Scott Richardson, to whom uh, this film is his only soul, his sole screenplay. Uh, he was a no, he was a novice. And I guess his whole idea was, well, we'll just do Stars Born again. Yep. We'll just do that. And I'm like, OK, that's fine. That's a it's an evergreen concept. Speaking of greens, his other main credit. Uh, is as a um, art department uh, person on the Lord of the Rings films where he's credited for the greens <laughs> in those films. That's it. Those are his sole credits. Oh. Uh, and apparently the studio thought that Scott Richardson was not was, was too young and too inexperienced to write a screenplay on his own. So they brought in a sentient pile of cocaine, Joe <laughs> Esterhaus, to rewrite the film. And, you know, Joe Esterhaus, the man behind uh, Showgirls, Basic Instinct, I mean... I don't. I don't understand that piece of trivia that the studio thought Scott Richardson was too inexperienced to write the screenplay because didn't they read it? Right. Also, you know, like, either either what did either he, he can fix? Or he can't. What did he do? Yeah. <laughs> I really. It's hard to know what's the worst thing about this movie. It's the editing, the acting, or the writing. All of them sort of congeal into this terrible thing. None. Nothing is good about it. I, that's the word congeal is a great word to use because <laughs> it suggests sort of like fatty tissue or. Ugh. You know, just fat from food building up in your aorta. It is that kind of thing. Uh, and, of course, as we mentioned, of course, it stars Bob Dylan. It stars Rupert Everett mm-hmm. on the way up as as a, an inspiring rock star. And then Fiona Flanagan, mm-hmm. uh, who was an up-and-comer, had a music career, 
and they, I guess they thought she really had something going so they could put her in this movie. And I will say this. The one bit of re- extensive research that I did was I listened to the episode of the Hustle podcast hosted by former guest of this show, uh, John Lamoureux, mm. where he interviewed Fiona. Mm. And 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 I listened to it and I was relieved to have you heard that show? Uh, no, I haven't. I've read some other interviews, okay. though, with her. All right. I was I was very relieved to learn that she has moved on and has seemingly a very happy life. And she seems very comfortable with her, you know, sort of failed career as a musician, mm-hmm. as an actress, and had nothing but sort of good things to say about the film while acknowledging it's terrible. <laughs> And and that made me feel better about what we're going to say about this right. movie because I don't feel like I'm kicking somebody when they're dead. Right. You know, I mean, if if her life had been ruined by this film, I would have been like, oh, man, I, you know. Yeah. But she, you know, she tried. It was a giant bomb and she just moved on to something else. And now she's like an accountant or something. Oh. So good for her. Sure. Good for her. Imagine. Imagine there's an accountant. There's a bunch of accountants <laughs> sitting somewhere where they're like one of us like did a movie with Bob Dylan. Right. Like, what? You know. And then. Uh, the other thing I was relieved to learn from that interview was that Bob Dylan apparently could not have been nicer to Fiona. Yeah, it was. Uh, and he, she was like near the same age as his kids at the time, I think he said right. in an interview. Yeah. And he seemed really nice to her. And they took acting cl- acting classes together. Can you imagine that? What? Imagine doing acting <laughs> What happened in these Dylan? acting classes? Not much, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I well, the, the, I mean, the, the takeaway after I rewatched this film, I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago yeah. in anticipation of this, and and boy, boy wasn't that a pleasant experience. <laughs> yeah. Is it, the 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 weird thing about this movie is that, of course, the only thing that really makes it worth watching at all is that Bob Dylan is in it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, if this movie had originally starred Mick Jagger, which was supposedly the original, he was originally pitched this to. Mm. I think this film would have been just bad. And uninterestingly bad right. because Mick Jagger, I think Mick Jagger probably would have Mick Jagger is a capable actor. I've seen him in some other films and he's capable of being kind of non Mick Jagger mm. at times. Mm-hmm. And I think that he probably would have realized that this wasn't very good and he would have done it kind of straight. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been kind of boring. But Bob <laughs> is like just this bundle of weird ticks. What is he the, doing? And he just wanders into this movie and you're just... <laughs> I and I've said this on other episodes about where like Bob is not a good actor. Mm. You cannot say he's a good actor. He's in the handful of films he's been in, especially the last one, Mastin Anonymous. Did you have, I'm assuming you've seen that yes, one as yes. well. Okay, he's a block of wood yeah. in a Mastin Anonymous, but you can't take your eyes off, right? And that's the chemistry that he's got. That's why he's been able to be this you know this huge figure for 50 years. He's got this charisma that you can't avoid, but he is so not comfortable mm. and it shows in a movie yeah he can't stand straight he's constantly he looks like he's ready to topple over at any moment honest wait but Which there's you? actually a fun fact harry hugh on twitter told me about this he's told me a lot okay. of fun facts uh bob dylan and rupert everett were apparently drunk the whole time they were filming this and it was in rupert everett's memoir he said that like bob was like falling down drunk the entire time they were shooting well, all right well that makes sense it does make sense it, it answers a lot of questions for like why were specific choices made and you know he is a terrible actor but what's interesting is in like the rolling thunder bob dylan story documentary he's he's acting in that and he's doing a pretty yes. good job he's like mm-hmm. when he's lying <laughs> when it's good and intentional <laughs> i guess 
Um, so I don't know. He still remains an enigma in the acting department for me. Yeah, I mean, he he mutters through this movie. Yeah. He mumbles. He does, and I, you know, the when you see um, performances in movies and they're not good, you that really is the fault of the director for the most part. Mm-hmm. That is not the fault of the actor. It's up to the director. He he or she is in charge. It's up to them to step in and say, "You're not really delivering what we need here." Mm-hmm. And I'm getting the sense that Richard Marquand, who nevertheless had been, despite having been coming off a couple of pretty big hits, I think Jagged Edge was a relative success, mm-hmm. and Eye of the Needle, and then certainly Return of the Jedi, he just obviously didn't have the heft mm-hmm. to step in mm-hmm. and say, Bob, stop stop muttering. Stop, you know, stop ad-libbing. It was another thing Fiona said was that apparently Bob would ad-lib a lot. Oh, of course. And I mean, if you want to be in the middle of a Christopher Guest movie, that's fine, but not in the middle of, of remaking A Star is Born. you got to mm. kind of deliver the plot, Bob. Yeah, Bob definitely had too much influence over the film. I mean, do you think it was in the script that he jumps into the lake fully clothed? Because I think that was probably a Bob decision. <laughs> that feels like that feels like it's something Bob decided to do. Yeah. It really does. All of it feels like it's just... He, it, as we all know, Bob Dylan's decision making at times has been dodging. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, no, no one loves the guy more than me, but we can yeah. all agree that sometimes his decision making has been a little curious, and a lot of his decisions in the mid '80s, particularly, mm-hmm. are are very questionable. And coming off of the, the the records that he'd been making, and then deciding to do this, you just wonder again why. What was it about this that made him say, "Yeah, I'm going to do this"? Yeah. What, what, as you said, like what what could have been in the screenplay? <laughs> That would make him say, yeah, I'm going to spend six months of my of my life doing this. I just I can't fathom. No, no. I I feel like he knows something we don't because there are points in it where you're like, he's being funny on purpose here. Mm. Like he's being he's aware of how stupid it is, because if you take it like that, it's like it's the comedic performance of a lifetime in this movie, the way that he's he's going through it. Again, he is. I mean, God, when he comes out of the, uh, I'm watching. We're, we're, I have the film playing as I'm going here. I mean, God, mm-hmm. when when Fiona shows up to his his place at the chicken farm, and he comes out with like his zipper down and stuff. It's just like all these weird little like, what, what, why, why are we doing this? Why, why is that what's going on in this movie? He, there, there's no decision it. at any point that makes any real sense. You did it knowing that we would be talking about it. 40 years later yeah, this Twitter. is gonna be a meme one day this is gonna be a this great gift okay. be meme. yeah oh my god so uh all right i mean i'm gonna ask you what do you think about the the film's decision to sort of blend the the fact that he's playing a character he's playing billy mm-hmm. parker who is mm-hmm. obviously a bob dylan stand-in but mm-hmm. then they are using footage of bob dylan as the real Bob Dylan, as Billy Parker. I feel like they, they really needed to settle on one or the other, and they mm-hmm. didn't, is that either make it Bob Dylan, just straight up make, put Bob Dylan in a fictional film, mm-hmm. or have him be somebody completely unlike Bob Dylan. But to me, it seemed weird that it's like, well, he's kind of Dylan, because we're looking mm-hmm. at the concert for Bangladesh, <laughs> but, yet he's bo- but yet he's supposed to be this washed-up guy. And that's the other thing. This film gives us no sense of why Billy Parker ever was good yeah. or was interesting. I mean, we just, we're just told over and over, Oh, that's Billy Parker. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when he shows up at the bar in the opening scene, uh, the bar manager played by former SNL cast member, Tony Rosato <laughs> does that thing where he pours, you know, he keeps pouring the beer into the, to the glass and yeah. he, you know, it's, and you're like, it, 
I don't know. What do you think? I mean, yeah. do you think it would have been better if they had picked one way or the other? I don't know, because it obviously is made for Bob. Like, the character is based on him, but it just doesn't quite get why Bob is good at all. Or it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't fit. Like, it, they tried to make it fit, and it just doesn't fit at all. And Bob isn't playing himself. He's playing some weird, like, pop star um, and it's weird because the the world of the movie includes some really strange things, like on the marquee of the movie theater, it says Pat Garrett and Billy Pat the Garrett Kid playing Pat Garrett. Yeah. yeah, and in the world, there's Johnny Cash. They mentioned they mentioned Paul mm-hmm. Simon, and also Richie Havens is there, and he's doing a great job. One of my favorite credits of all time in any movie is Richie Havens as Pepper Ward. Yeah. I just love those words together, as if the words yeah. Pepper Ward mean anything yeah. to anybody like i i always love it when when actors get as so-and-so credits yeah. and they list you unless it's a character you know where it's like chris evans as captain america mm. pepper just say richie havens <laughs> you don't have richie havens as pepper ward no okay what does that even mean yeah. i don't know what pepper ward is and it seems like they were trying to include some humor in it that just doesn't come off at all like um like the the joke that he has a farm now and owns chickens is referenced mm. like four times throughout the movie. Like they were trying to make it a recurring bit, but it just doesn't land at all because Bob doesn't want to commit to that. And the um the guy <laughs> on the drums, <laughs> the himbo. Oh man, Timmy oh Capello, that guy. That guy ro- <laughs> That guy rocks. He was like He's... a real musician. He was back up for Tina Turner and he would come on stage without a shirt on and play the saxophone. It was his whole thing. And he sh- Hey, when you're built like that, I wouldn't wear a shirt either. Right? He shines that. in this movie. It's so Literally. 80s. He literally shines. He I mean, glistens under he the glistens lights in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's weird how they they don't really have a world set. Like what are we in this world? Are we in a world where just Bob Dylan doesn't exist? It's it's hard to say. Right, exactly. You're like is it, it said I just felt like that they didn't I mean it would have been even more awkward to have him literally playing Bob Dylan, <laughs> but the fact that it's Billy Parker with some Bob Dylan thrown in. Yeah, you're like it, it's kind of like those movies in uh, vampire movies where nobody <laughs> under, knows what a vampire is yeah. and you're like is there no vampire fiction in this world? Yes. What what's going on? Like, I mean, has nobody read a book about vampires? I don't understand. So yeah, there is there's no Bob Dylan in this universe, I guess. So I guess Billy Parker is sort of the stand-in for this. So I mean, let's talk about um, the music mm. a little bit, obviously, because we get to see a lot of performances. Uh, the idea was, of course, that Bob Dylan would be able to fill out a soundtrack mm-hmm. by himself, as he did with Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. At least, although some of the a lot of those are instrumentals. But I'm sure that when they hired Bob. Mm-hmm. They thought they were going to get, well, he's probably got another knocking on heaven's door in him and he can yeah. do that for this movie. And unfortunately, Bob was probably at his uh, nadir in terms of his inspiration uh, because the only songs he came up with are How to Dream About You, Baby, mm-hmm. which some Dylan critics absolutely loathe. I actually kind of like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that song? Um, I mean, I actually like this era of Bob's voice. So mm-hmm. I appreciate all the songs he's singing. But yeah, he was supposed to contribute four songs. He did two songs and a cover. And a cover, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that you can just do that. Like yeah. you're contractually obligated and he's like, no, I'm just going <laughs> to, no, just two. And then I'm going to cover John Hyatt's song. Yeah, I mean, I think okay. I think all the right. best song in it is um Couple More Years, which is written by Shel Silverstein. Shel Silverstein, I have right. no idea how that song came about or why it's in this movie or what the original premise of that song is. Cause it's kind of, it kind of makes you think like, what is this song that's talking about? 
I got a couple more years on you, babe, and you're a little baby and I'm an old man. It's kind of creepy when you think about it. Yeah, it is by far the best performance. It is. Uh, I would say it's just Bob singing it. Bob Bob and Shel Silverstein were were close friends mm. and he's covered a couple of Shel Silverstein songs over the years in concert and stuff like that. So yeah, it is it's interesting in that uh you it clearly looks like the the performance was uh, dubbed over later on. You can see. In fact, I think this whole movie looks dubbed over. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody is actually saying the line while it's being recorded. I think this whole movie was done in ADR. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah, which is very, very strange. So I actually like How to Dream About You, Baby, and that's the one we hear the most of. Mm-hmm. Him and Fiona actually sing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is another weird thing where if you're going to blend the world of Bob Dylan and Billy Parker, right? They sing how to how to dream about you, baby, as if it is this legendary song. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, then if you're going to let it be Bob Dylan, let, let him sing like a Rolling Stone. Yeah. Like, let it actually be a, a really amazing. <laughs> let it be a legendary song, not this new one. And then the other one we hear is Night After Night, mm-hmm. which is another song I have a sneaking love for. Mm. But it is it is one of the great Dylan songs in that the lyrics completely do not match the arrangement. <laughs> The Night After Night's lyrics are some of the darkest, grimmest, most fatalistic of Bob's entire career. And yet the music is like, I, you got a sax solo in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's like somebody heard that, read those lyrics and said, I know I'm going to pick an arrangement that is the 180 degrees opposite of this, of this lyrics. I think I love that song in this movie because it's in the scene that makes, that's the most underlooked that makes the least sense. And it's when at the very end, Fiona goes to his house, his farm, and right. Bob is laying on the couch with headphones on. With his Walkman, yeah. But the song is playing out of speakers. So where... Where's the music coming from? Is he listening just to his own records? Is he listening on the Walkman? It's very unclear. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just like oh my god! And then then and then he has the cover of the usual, the usual, uh, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty good. I actually think it's a pretty good cover. And again, it suggests that how low Bob was for inspiration mm-hmm. is that both you know that that had a dream about you, baby, ended up on uh, uh, down on the groove. And then originally the usual was supposed to be down in the groove and then he pulled it at the last second. Mm. Uh, but I mean that, I mean these, I wouldn't say that how to dream about you baby is a particularly great song. I do enjoy it. But the fact that Bob couldn't even, you know, he had to use something off of a soundtrack yeah. to fill up a later album suggests again, that he was really sort of desperate for songs. And you just kind of wonder what the recording business was like back then that he couldn't just, kind of take a couple years off hmm. you know like just say you know what i don't, I can't think of anything right now i'm gonna just chill out for a couple of years but he had to keep cranking out records i guess i guess that was the maybe. maybe his contract or something but you would just think that nowadays when artists go six seven years in between projects mm-hmm. which is that's not unusual but i guess back then that was just not going to be possible so bob had to like do something to give keep sony happy and uh, you know he just kept cranking out albums made up of songs that he had lying around and stuff i guess right. that was the the idea i mean it. there's it's always possible that he just really doesn't enjoy these songs and just didn't know where to put them considering he played the usual in 2003 just at a concert at straight up he played the usual so maybe he has like a special place in these in his heart for these songs i have no idea Maybe so. I don't. Th- I believe night after night has never been done in concert. Mm. That would be amazing to hear. <laughs> that, that would song. be so good. <laughs> I knew I, another night after night. Another plan to blow up the world, mm. and then to get that saxophone. 
it's just oh my god it's hysterical so okay uh music wise we, we've covered that now fiona mm. uh fiona flanagan i have always said about movies where um uh, movies that feature performances within them within the, the reality of the story whether it's uh you know a movie about like a stand-up comedian you know or a movie about a musician or a movie about an actor you you have such a tough time. You you really put yourself on the eight ball mm-hmm. by making a movie about that because of course, unless the performance is something that already exists in the culture that we know is great, like the Johnny Cash biopic. Mm. You know they're going to sing Ring of Fire. Well, that's established. The Ring of Fire is a great song, and so the the real life is doing the work for you. But when you're creating something new and you're saying, "Hey, these new people are awesome." And you have the you know shots of the crowd going, yeah, it has to be awesome. Right. Because if it isn't, you're like, what are these people cheering about? Yeah. And I'm sorry, but Fiona is <laughs> terrible in this movie. Yeah. I mean, she's a terrible singer. She's a terrible she's- actor, too. Terrible singer yeah. and actor. Everything is bad. Like, the writing is bad, and she does a bad job saying the lines. I mean, you cannot believe for one moment that anyone would look at her, look at her character. Mm-hmm. I, let me be very specific. Look at her character, Molly Parker, mm. and go, oh, she's Molly the next Parker? Big... Oh, Molly Parker. <laughs> I'm sorry, Molly. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm looking at them together, and I'm, yeah. I'm shipping them already. Yeah, <laughs> Molly, Molly McGuire. Molly McGuire. What a name. Molly McGuire. Yeah. Come on, guys. I know. Come on, Joe Esterhouse. What do you think? <laughs> um, but you, no one would look at Molly McGuire and say, she's going to be the next big thing. No. Nobody would say that. So the fact that Billy Parker and all these other musicians like Pepper Ward mm. are giving her all of this time like, oh, man, she is she's a comment on the way up. You just don't buy it. No. You ju- And so the, the whole movie's central conceit is is gone because you're like – no, mm-hmm. no one, no one would listen to her and go, "Oh yeah, oh my God, we gotta, we gotta get in the Molly Maguire business." I mean, what are you talking about? It sucks that this movie is like a musical, essentially. So there's whole scenes where it's just her performing, and you're like, "Come on, can we just skip past this part, please?" I need to yeah. get back to the terrible acting. Yeah. Oh my lord. Oh my god. And so, I mean, do you think that? Uh, and I think I already know the answer to this question, but do you feel that the, that Fiona and Bob on screen have any chemistry oh, God, whatsoever? No. Well, I mean, Bob's not even trying to be fair, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I think it's, it's really entertaining, but it's not, it's not, no one's committing to it. Although I do think it's kind of ironic how I was watching this with a couple of other young Bob fans and we were all ragging on Fiona's voice, but I mean, we're all Bob fans mm-hmm. <laughs> and we all accept when Bob sounds terrible, but we're like, oh, this girl, this girl cannot carry it. She has that like, quote unquote, rock kind of voice where it's just like, oh, man, <laughs> it's it, it really is. It's, it's really hard. And the yeah, fact that really those is. two enemies in music just come together to perform with her at the end. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Oh, we'll get to yeah. that. Oh, my God. Well, speaking of her enemies, uh, yeah, I mean, about a quarter of the way into the film is when we are introduced to Rupert Everett, mm. who would James, playing James Colt. And of course, Rupert Everett would go on to a great career. This was he this was him on, on his way up, basically. And again, the problem with uh, the James Colt character is that he's a massive douchebag. Mm-hmm. He's just a massive jerk. He's got that giant mullet. I mean, not that you can't blame him for the mullet. It was 1986 or seven. But again, like you can't, I don't believe for one moment that James Colt has even for one second been a successful musician. (laughs) 
not even he looks like one of the lost boys it's like <laughs> it's totally like you just don't buy him either so you're like wait so billy parker is the washed up legend mm-hmm. and james colt is the new big thing and you're like i'm not buying any of these premises but he sings tainted love you gotta buy it <laughs> that's something else he's oh my god he sings it you're, like you're, three times <laughs> he sings somebody else's song you're like with like I know I just said you coming up with something original is a lot harder, but at the same time, you're like, well, I'm supposed to allege that James Colt is this great musician by singing someone else's song yeah. that I know of is great. Like what? Yeah. Oh God. Oh yeah. And so, and again, then he meets Molly and he initially tells her to go F off. Uh, and then, then of course it gets, he's sort of charmed by her. Now, right after that, we do get, I think pretty much the only solo except for a couple more years, but the mm. only solo Bob performance mm. Uh, where he's on stage, and then, oh, God, I hate it. First of all, and Ron Wood is on stage with him, which is, mm. you know, kind of fun. But he's out there by himself, and then Fiona comes out and duets with him. And I'm sorry. If I was in the crowd, I would be like, get the F off the stage. Right. I want to see I want to see Billy Parker. What are you this? doing? Who is this lady? We don't want to see Did somebody her. win a contest? What's happening? I don't understand. Her with her giant hair. Oh, God. They keep throwing oh. cigarettes at her hair, by the way. That is a fire hazard. They should know yeah. better. Oh, man. Oh, God. I Again, I got to wonder. I always wonder why Ron Wood is here. Mm. Is it Was it just because Bob wanted somebody to talk to? Like, he wanted one of his old buddies, and he can, him and Richie Havens and Ron Wood could just sit and, you know, talk about stuff? I, I guess. No I mean, I guess the premise of the movie, I'm sure everyone was excited about it. Like, oh, yeah, Bob Dylan movie. This will definitely launch my career probably fiona's thought process I, I, i'm sure hey look you know if somebody offered me to star in a movie with bob dylan i would take it <laughs> yeah you know what i mean i'd be like look this is awful but i'm not gonna not piss up the opportunity but at the same time just like uh, it, yeah. it really is one of these movies where virtually everything goes wrong yeah Vir- like everything from the the way the film was con- the conception of the film the execution of the film the detail, like there isn't any part of it where you're like, oh, that, all right, I can see what they were doing with that part. That part makes sense, you know? And again, you're just like, the, and we all know, like the amount of effort it takes to make a movie mm-hmm. is unreal. Just the amount of effort it takes to put that together. And all these people put all this effort into this thing. And it's like, I guess at a certain point it becomes like a runaway train where like, mm-hmm. well, we're making the movie now. So what are you going to do? Might as well go with you know? it. Might as well go with it. I mean, I have to wonder, the guy playing um, James Colt's butler. Oh, my God. Alfred. By the way, naming the butler Alfred. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Joe. That guy that cracks me up. Julian Glover. Julian (laughs) Glover, one of the great great British actors of the last last half century. I had to wonder what he was thinking in the middle of this film. I mean, his – when when, (laughs) – When Fiona and Rupert Everett, I'm not going to bother with their character names. They're right, having their enough, little the little love fest, and the butler just keeps knocking on the door like a psychopath. And he's like, mm-hmm. "Your lunch, sir. <laughs> It'll cool, sir." It's bizarre that anyone thought that that was like I don't know funny or or interesting. And I think that Bob's character makes like a homophobic joke to the butler at one point it took me a couple like watches to see this but the butler asks if he wants any flowers and bob goes yeah i'd like some pansies oh that's right oh that's the pansies oh god i think it was written to be like a homophobic joke but the way bob delivers it it's just like he's flirting with the butler (laughs) 
Yeah, well, Joe Westerhouse never met a homophobic joke yeah. he didn't like to insert in his film. So yeah. I have to mention Julian Glover because Julian Glover is one of these guys who, uh, as far as I know, like, I mean, of course, nobody nowadays does it. But during the convention circuit, I think he would make a mint mm. because Julian Glover has been in a Star Wars movie, Game of Thrones, an Indiana Jones movie and a James Bond movie. Oh, my God. I mean, that I mean, that he that is an amazing amount of pop culture uh, you know, sort of contact that he's made, that he's been through all these things, and he was in a Bob. Dylan. I mean, yeah. if this guy was ever at a convention, I would drive whatever I had to to meet him. <laughs> yeah. I really would. He must, and I would get him to sign my copy of Hearts of Fire. Yes, he has been through it. That's awesome. He's been through it, man. Yeah, I mean, again, it's. I have to imagine that. I mean, he was in Empire Strikes Back, not Return of the Jedi, but I have mm. to wonder if that's, uh, you know, that George Lucas didn't uh, talk to Richard Marquand and say, oh, hey, you know, you can get Julian Glover because it's weird. But Julian Glover is a genuine actor. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that Rupert Everett isn't, but again, Rupert Everett was on his way up and he was still new. Mm-hmm. Julian Glover was an old hand. And I have to wonder, while he's sitting there doing his lines <laughs> and, you know, Bob Dylan's muttering and Fiona's doing whatever she's doing, he he wasn't just like, what? What's our... I, I, more likely, he was just like, the check's clear either way. Yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just... Oh boy. Well, there was also... One performance that I love is the manager and and the manager who comes in as this like evil lady, and she Suzanne Burtish yes as the as the uh, she the kills it. She is really like acting in this film. When oh god, we're gonna have to talk about that blind <laughs> the blind fan. Oh, I got it. We gotta get we to gotta the blind lady. To that. Yeah. But after that scene happens, and she's like. She's in the bathroom washing her hands Lady Macbeth style. And she goes, <laughs> <laughs> you bloody whale better care about Dunstan, you stupid little girl. It's amazing. <laughs> I love that woman. She committed 100%. She might be the only one who like really was like, I'm going to act in this film. You know, as far as I understand from what actors talk about is that that's what you have to do. (laughs) You got to just do it. You can't because then if you look like you're half-assing it, you look bad. Exactly. You you know, so, I mean, it's like, all right, yeah, she's got to just, I mean, she's not in it a lot, but I mean, yeah, I guess she's just like, okay, we're going to just commit to it. We're just going to do this. And yeah, and again, what I understand of actors, it's like, it's got to be so hard when you don't get anything back. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're volleying back and the person is going to give it back. And again, Fiona is just like a no, wet dish. She's rag doing nothing. Movie. You know, I mean, it's just like, yeah, again, Suzanne Burdish is just like, you know, really. And again, I love her shoulder pads. By the way. <laughs> yes. She looks great. She's coming right out of working girl. She's fantastic. Oh yeah. All the fashion in this movie is like to die for amazing peak 80s so uh about halfway through the movie we get that scene where you know molly basically gets the big contract and she turns to billy parker and there's the the line that we open the show with about it's a trap (laughs) the bigger you are the more talented you are the bigger the trap Mm -hmm. and something else that they probably should have thought through is like how tiresome it sort of is to hear about super rich (laughs) rock stars complaining about their lives right that's something else too you're like like because we don't see anything from Billy Parker, we don't we don't ever see what really happened to Billy Parker no. as to why he became this washed up guy. So you're sort of like, well, why is he like Captain Cynical? Yeah. Like, what, I mean, what is it? Why is he so miserable about all? All, this? all we get is Fiona asking him, like, what happened to you? You used to be really big. And then he like drives yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. We have no idea. <laughs> you're like, okay. All right. So that's fine. So again, then, then there's the whole, the whole scene of uh, Fiona 
uh, or again, Molly, it doesn't matter, uh, in the recording studio, and you've got James Cold playing the producer. And oh to me, I, I hate to say it, but that scene reminded me of the scene in Boogie Nights <laughs> where they're singing You Have the Touch, where it's like they're, they've got the power, and the producer's just like running, putting his head in his hands like, oh, God, this is just... Oh. Yeah, except <sighs> Rupert Everett is like harassing her. He's like, you're not yeah. any good. You stink. Yeah, I was like, what? Then why... Oh, you God. sucks. I, Everyone, no one in this film, in the creation of this film, has ever met a woman or knows how to write a female character. All you well, do is have yeah. to like harass her, and then she'll make a good take. It's it's fine. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> so later on, we do get a nice scene of uh, Bob playing pool with James Cole, mm-hmm. which I enjoy. I I enjoy. Um, I enjoy seeing Bob interact with the regular world. Mm. I just enjoy that. That's not something we get to see a lot. So I like just, I mean, again, he's playing Billy Parker, but I just like seeing Bob just doing regular things. I sort of enjoy that. This is sort of fun to watch. And that is one of the benefits of this film is getting to see Bob Dylan just do stuff you would never get to see him, you know, do before. I mean, like when he's uh, eating like whatever's like the ice cream or the dessert that they have out on the lawn, like just seeing Bob do all that stuff is fun. Yeah. And uh, it's when he says, you're using her, man. You're just using her with that exact delivery. <laughs> and oh god. When he first interacts with uh Rupert Everett, there's a weird part where I don't know if they're supposed to be like high or drunk. They just start laughing and Fiona's like what's going on and it's never explained. No. No. <laughs> also, did you did you get the same read of this as it as I was watching Molly McGuire climb this climb the charts? Like she never cuts an album? <laughs> It's just like she seems to have like a song yeah. that becomes like a hit. And that that leads very quickly to headlining sold out concerts. Yes. And I'm like, based on what? Well, what, what is she singing? Like, mm-hmm. how many songs does she have at this point? That's that's just looking too far deep into it. I think right. they did well, not plan any of the lore of this world. <laughs> I mean, it's like if you've if you've ever watched like one of those music documentaries, they talk about how bands have to go from like, you know, cutting a few, you know, they maybe get one hit song and then they open for people mm-hmm. and then they cut an album and then they go on tour. But she just seems to jump from jumping on stage with with Billy Parker, who again, I don't know why why that matters because he's washed up, mm-hmm. um, to all of a sudden headlining concerts to where she's got her name written in neon on the stage behind her. Yeah, and she's getting interviewed after the concert. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then again, then we get a great moment of uh, Bob at uh, Billy Parker deciding to destroy the hotel room. Oh, again, being yes. being a giant dick. Yes. yes. This is the point where it's like, oh, my God, we skipped over the part where he says he might he'll never win a Nobel Prize. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's I'm never one of those guys who wins a Nobel Prize. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. I think someone time traveled to write that line because it doesn't even <laughs> make sense in context. No. Um, why Why would a rock and roll guy get a Nobel Prize? Why would that even happen? I think it was him being like, I don't even know about awards. But then Fiona says, huh, yeah, I guess. Which, it leads nowhere. It's nothing. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. That's all she says. One of the great retorts in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I guess. That's always that scene they show and that's Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. But then we are at the, um, he destroys the hotel room. And th- Wearing the greatest jacket in the history of cinema. I've been told that this exists in a museum somewhere, and I think it's the perfect time to commit a heist. 
It, it belongs in Tulsa. <laughs> yeah. It belongs in that, 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 that exhibition in Tulsa. Yeah. The fishing lure jacket. Yeah. That thing is unbelievable. And we get, we get the, uh, the footage of the, uh, the doorman watching things as they fall, the mattress and the TV. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's almost, it turns into like a Monty Python thing of watching yeah. this guy watching stuff just fall. But it's, and then that leads, it's not oh, him. It like, <laughs> it must, they must have used a body double because when things are flying, and you don't see Bob's face at all. Like, I don't, I just think he was too weak to actually throw these things. And when he does, he's just kind of whipping it. Like his <laughs> arms are wimp, are limp noodles. Yeah. It's amazing. He's so yeah, mad, he's a- but he doesn't like sound mad. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I'm like, what? Like, no scene in this movie seems to really support the following scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why is he all of a sudden so mad? All of a sudden? And so then James Cole is, dr- is drinking heavily, and that leads to the great moment where Bob Dylan throws a punch. Yes! Bob Dylan gets to be like a movie cowboy and throw a punch. Oh. And he throws a punch like no human would throw a <laughs> he punch. He looks like a Muppet. He looks straight up like a Muppet. <laughs> His arm just swings around from the shoulder. Kermit the Frog. Yay! <laughs> He does, yeah. He th- he would throws a punch in a way that would probably break your arm yeah. if you would actually connect it with somebody when you're doing oh. that. Again, it's like Richard Marco needed to say, Bob, 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 can we, here, this is, you just do this. Just do this. This will be fine. We'll, okay. We'll put a guy in a Bob Dylan wing and we'll, we'll reshoot that or something. Like yeah. That. So, okay. Whatever. He literally, like, he's so funny. It's so funny. It had to be intentional because he goes up to Fiona, hands her the bags and says, wait right here a second. And then he goes and throws the punch. <laughs> like, there's no buildup at all. No, no. It, it's just, oh my God. Yeah. And so then, then extend, we move on and Molly's career starts to move up. She starts in her relationship with with Rupert Everett or with, mm. with uh, Jack, uh, you know, whatever, uh, whatever, the whatever I keep forgetting. Is. James Cole, Who James cares? Cole. And so for the longest part of the movie, now during all this section, there is no Bob Dylan. Oh, and sucks. you know, there's no Billy Parker and that, you know, then the movie goes from just from being horrendously fun, bad to just boring, bad because who gives a shit about these two, about their nascent relationship or whatever it, you really do need, you really do need Bob Dylan in this thing to spice it up. So when there's this long chunk where he's gone. And by the way, when you watch uh, uh, Fiona and Rupert Everett kissing each other oh. there, yeah, there's, there's not, not much going on there. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but I mean, I realized when I was watching it again, that it really is the fact that Bob is in this movie and is such a weird presence mm-hmm. that when he's gone, the movie just flattens out into almost just nothing. You know, there's just nothing worth watching at all. Yeah, I mean, you find out that he has a child. Yes, in a, it looks like Eloise from those little books. Like I don't know. It seems like the the child might have some mental disability, and maybe that's part of his backstory. But it's not really explained. They go to the carnival, and then he gets mobbed by all these fans. And, I uh, love I love Molly's outfit by that point where she's in the beret yes. with the sun. She looks like she's like a part of Prince's backup band or something. Oh That's my god, yes! And at at the carnival, um, there's when he gets swarmed. There's some lady. They show her like taking off her panties and throwing it at him. <laughs> it's insane. And that's the point. Like it's it's so nothing. Everything is just so nothing at this point that they have to add a bizarre side plot about this blind fan and the fact oh, that Rupert man. Everett saw 
a fan jump off a balcony once and so he's like haunted and that's why he's an asshole it's not that he's a bad person it's just that he has all these secrets that he has to keep oh, he's so dark inside <laughs> yeah so yeah we go we get the blind fan played by Susanna hoffman uh and she's going on to have her you know career she's still working as of as of now mm. she does a lot of british tv stuff so again good for her i'm always happy when somebody you know, is in a movie and it doesn't destroy their career because <laughs> it's not their fault. You know, it's not their fault. Right. But man, the outfit they put this actress in, what are those glasses? She looks like she's from V, the miniseries or something. <laughs> like, what is happening? And that leads to this standoff where she pulls a gun on James Cole in front of everybody. Sense. It doesn't that, make it, any sense at all. Oh she is blind. God. Move out of the way and take <laughs> the gun away. Why, just kneel. why is everyone just standing there as she has this gun <laughs> pointed at him? Everyone's just like, oh no, put the gun down. She's blind. <laughs> Walk right up to her and take it away. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You could one of you crawl on the ground and crawl up to her. Just grab whatever. Oh my! And then she says, "I just wanted to see you." What? That doesn't make any sense. You're blind. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. When 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 the the butler Alfred the butler shows up and he you know he's like he's going to take over Mm -hmm. and they do that shot of 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 uh, of Rupert Everett with his hand out like he's like no I'll handle this (laughs) and you're like. So, so they very again they establish at this point that he's this kind of idiot rock star douchebag, and all of a sudden he's going to maybe take a bullet for everybody. Right. Like, what in the in the worst outfit of the movie? This man is in that like dripping eyeliner, huge mm-hmm. mullet, and then like pirate shirt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> looks oh, insane. Oh yeah, it's again. You really do feel like that when they wrote the screenplay, they realized we need some sort of action beat. Yeah. Near the end, as we're wrapping up, we got to put something. So let's stick in the blind woman <laughs> who's going to pull a gun on 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 him. It's just like, oh my, yeah. I just again, it was one of the things where I'm just sitting there, I'm like, you're like, what? What am I watching? Like, what is this? Yeah. So okay. So then finally, uh, Fiona then or Molly I keep saying, keep doing that. <laughs> Molly enters. You know, she goes to see uh, Billy again, and that leads to probably the most famous scene in the movie. Uh, which something you yourself have created mm-hmm. via recreated via gift. Explain to people <laughs> yes. what this uh, fabulous scene is. Yep, yep. It's um so, uh, Bill- Billy Parker's back at his farm, and he has had this running bit apparently about having chickens. Even though when you go to his farm, it's all ducks. You don't see that many chickens. <laughs> um, and Fiona spends the night on his couch uninvited. And when he wakes her up in the morning, he walks into the kitchen, opens this special egg refrigerator, and he opens it. And inside, there's about 40 full cartons of eggs. And he says, do you want some eggs? No. (laughs) Keeps going. It is not addressed how many eggs this man has. It is unconscionable to have this many eggs. Um, And... uh, that's the part where I was like, this movie is maybe the best movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> How long did it take you to splice that together of you opening the fridge with the oh eggs and splicing it up well, again? It it took a lot of production because I had to remove <laughs> Well worth it. I had to remove everything from my freezer and refrigerator for that. And so I, I had a limited window where the things from the freezer wouldn't like start going bad to film right. that. Um but 
fun fact, I also, I own chickens. My family owns chickens. So we oh. just had all of these egg cartons lying around. And that's the point where I was like, oh, I actually could do this. So uh, yeah, I, I just dug out what outfit looked best and uh, I did it. I did the dang thing. And then it got a pretty good response on Twitter. Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> My jaw dropped when I saw it. But just the amount of effort yeah. someone was willing to put in for this gag is just, is just, this is just unreal. Like I said, I, I found my niche. Oh, man, you sure did. <laughs> so uh, then again, so uh, we, we are then, uh, there's another concert mm-hmm. uh, by Molly where she sings again. And her outfit is changing in all different, uh, every every concert seems a different outfit. Billy introduces himself by flicking a cigarette at her. Yeah. Which again doesn't seem like the nicest thing in the world. Exactly. Uh, and then he comes, and then and then the big denouement. <laughs> You're not going to believe it, everybody. That both Molly is on stage with Billy Parker, and then James Colt comes out to play keyboards. <laughs> you wouldn't believe uh, it. And Bob does his classic uh, three quarter head tilt, like <laughs> he does from the uh, the cover of Empire Burlesque. Yes. And then and then he does the thing where he turns around and does a <laughs> he wink. winks. To, he winks to James Cole <laughs> and just go, yeah, man, we're gonna rock out. And then there's you got it. Then you have this huge crowd who put up a banner that says, "We love you, Molly." I don't know where. Like, did they, I think outside the Beatles? Did anybody ever do that? Like, you yeah. put a banner talking about what you love someone who has maybe again one or two songs to her credit at this point. Yeah, yeah. That wink is so iconic. Oh, that is just fantastic. It's just un. Oh God, you know how many takes I got. <laughs> and the, again, the problem is, you know, this is the big denouement, and you're supposed to be carried away by the performance and it again i feel so ba- it's terrible mm-hmm. i mean it's just terrible mm-hmm. it, you just don't buy it for one moment that anybody would go oh yeah this is yeah this is the thing man this is this is she's the she's the thing yeah it's not good it's never good and you're like oh they're gonna sing a song now how exciting but it's it just always fails to live up to expectations yeah. So then, back at uh, back at Billy's uh, Billy's farm, she's fallen asleep in the the, the hayloft, mm-hmm. and then that's when Bob comes in, and we we talked about this. It's just by far the best performance in the movie of Bob singing a couple more years, and it's very. I, this feels like a uh, that that song, by the way, was not done, was not recorded at the sessions for the soundtrack. It was done later, so it seems like it was a late addition that maybe they decided, look, we need another Dylan performance in here somewhere. Mm. And now we do see Bob sing the song. Uh, It's an awkwardly shot sequence. Well, like the whole movie is awkwardly shot. But, I mean, this is an awkwardly shot sequence because we never see really Bob and Fiona in the same shot when he is singing the song live. Yeah, We We see him from the back. And her, and we see that he's got a guitar, and we hear it on the soundtrack. And then when you actually have footage of Bob singing the song, he's there by himself. So this feels like something that they may have thrown in at the last second and sort of just cattywumpus it together <laughs> because they just they didn't have the actors to be able to put them together at the end. Yeah, that's that seems likely from the way that yeah. this whole thing seems to have gone. <laughs> yeah, it's just very very odd. So then she then uh, plants a big kiss on Bob mm-hmm. on Billy Parker there. I mean. You know, I don't know. I would, is that something that uh, you would want to do at some point in your life, Rebecca? Is that something that you want to want to kiss Bob Dylan? Um, do you want to kiss Bob Dylan? No. Okay. No. Okay. 
I'm just checking. There are some fans out there that really, that seems oh, like I a know. thing that they really want to do. I know. But... I made a gif of that so I could send it to um, the Young Bob fans group chat. Shout out to Bob Nation. Because <laughs> I knew that it would it would make them happy. Right. So then the final moments of our film is when we're all, they're, 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 uh, the, uh, they're, Fiona decides to take off. And then, sure, again, I keep doing it, Fiona. Molly takes off. And then she meets up with James. Uh, again, he has nothing else to do. Well, wait, she steals his motorcycle. Star. She steals. She, oh, that's right. She steals Billy's motorcycle. Yes. That's right. Just takes it without any, she's not giving it back. She's a rebel. She's a rebel. She just does what she wants. She's just, you know, she's learned from the best. She's learned to be a, you know. So then again, she meets up with with James. He's waiting for her in his convertible, and he's got another amazing shirt with the purple and green sort of pattern thing there. Everything, and then that's basically the end of our movie as they drive away. And uh, then we're met with uh, the credits with another song of Fiona singing. And again, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, it just is, and that is our. That's the wrap up of our movie. Uh, we do get a uh, another another. I get the chance to see Pepper Ward, Richie Havens again, which again is fun. Uh, and you know, you watch this movie, and you just you just can't help but think. You just wonder what was what were any of them thinking at this at this point? And obviously, the studio must have known that they had a turkey on their hands. <laughs> Because uh, it was released in England mm-hmm. in 1987, it didn't. It never got a theatrical release in the United States. Yeah, uh, it never. It never came out. And the only time you could get it in the U.S. was when it was finally released on VHS. Which leads to my single favorite piece of trivia about Hearts of Fire. And this comes from Clinton Halen's book, uh, Bob Dylan. Uh, I'm reading Day by Day, 1941 to 1995. And this is early November of 1990. Dylan is briefly interviewed by Edna Gunderson for an article on Hearts of Fire in USA Today, coinciding with the film's belated release on video in the U.S. Dylan suggests he would have preferred the film to be like Chariots of Fire. Okay. (laughs) Why, in 1990, was USA Today writing an article on Hearts of Fire? I I mean, I would. (laughs) Well, you would, but you're a weirdo. I mean, I mean, what? I can't I and then the idea that you would bother to contact Bob Dylan in 1990 mm-hmm. to ask him about Hearts of Fire mm-hmm. like what I can't I can't wrap my head around that that that, that this reporter Edna Gunderson who Bob gave a lot of report uh, not necessarily exclusives to but mm-hmm. he he talked to her a lot so he must have liked her but I can't imagine that that would be you, I would think you only have so many chances to call Bob Dylan for an interview. <laughs> right. And that's one of the ones you're going to use him on is talking about Hearts of Fire on VHS. Like, what is that about? I, she, I mean, if she knew him pretty well, she must have been like, this is the exclusive. This is my niche I got to get into because he won't talk about it with anyone else. I got to know what he what? thinks of it. I, I mean, I would like to know what he thought of it. I guess so. I mean, like you said, if you put tape over the little checklet, you can record it over and record a sports show or something. You know, I mean, it's like I can't. I, I just, that, I just love the idea that in 1990 that was still worthy of notation. Mm-hmm. Hearts of Fire being put on VHS. So, and that is, uh, is it, it is on DVD. It was put on DVD. It's out of print, but you can you can get it. I am reasonably, <laughs> I am reasonably sure we are never going to get a Blu-ray. <laughs> Of Hearts of Fire. <laughs> That's the thing. I was I want the soundtrack so bad, and I cannot find it at a reasonable price. You can find it on cassette for like two dollars on Discogs. Right. CDs almost non-existent. Yep. Yeah. It is on vinyl. You can get it on yeah. vinyl. 
uh, I when I was in Los Angeles last year, uh, I was at a used bookstore, and there it was. I even took a picture. I think I posted oh it on God. the Pod Dylan Twitter feed. I didn't buy it. What? Just because? No, well, <laughs> hold on. Wait a minute. I have a reason because there was no way for me to get it back on the plane because my bag was too small and it would have been crushed and I couldn't do that. So I'm going to have to buy it on uh, through eBay at some point yeah. and buy because I do want to own the, the, the soundtrack. But it was said it was never put on Blu-ray. It is available for rent on Amazon Prime. It so is. You can, so for like $3, you can rent Amazon. I will say I bought it on Amazon yeah. Prime. Yeah. Well, I, so. I got to say to your listeners, if anyone – wants to see it for free i might know a couple links to where you can get it yeah i it's it's not something that is hard to find <laughs> i i i wanted i just like the idea of uh like you know presumably you buy a movie on amazon prime uh some royalty check of some amount <laughs> yeah. gets cut to bob dylan like three cents for this movie <laughs> yeah like three cents so that's what i i just like that idea that maybe that got tabulated somewhere that, you know, yeah. like, so in some ways, you know, three cents got sent to Bob Dylan as like Amazon on the check or something. Oh my you know? God. Yeah. That's, that's what I wanted. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a disaster of a movie and it didn't do any, it, it ruined Fiona's career. <sighs> Not maybe, you know, I don't know how much of a career she would have continued to have, but it certainly didn't do anything for her. It didn't really seem to stop Rupert, Rupert Everett. No. Uh, I think he just kind of kept going. Uh, I mean, he again, he was a, obviously a very talented actor and has gone on to have been in a million things. But I mean, even immediately after Hearts of Fire, uh, but just before it, he had done The Comfort of Strangers, or he actually, that was right after Hearts of Fire. So he did that. And then he did, just a couple years later, he did Cemetery Man. Mm-hmm. And then Ready to Wear with uh, with uh, Robert Altman. And then he did My Best Friend's Wedding with Julia Roberts. So he was just, you know, he just kept going. This was just a bump on the road to him. And effectively, this, I think this sort of ended any shot. I think anybody thought that Bob Dylan was going to be an actor where he could show up in someone else's movie. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Mass and Anonymous was crafted around his persona. But I think this, any idea that Bob might have had that he was going to be in movies was this was had to be no no yeah. that's that's the end. it must have at least told him that you should not continue doing this yeah yeah this is just you know again i am very happy to learn that that fiona has had a nice life yeah. and that she that this was just something that she just can laugh about and the fact that bob was nice to her oh and then that right that was the one other thing i wanted to mention she she mentions in that episode of she did of the hustle has she ever talked to bob after the movie was over and she said that she saw him at the uh, rock and roll hall of fame in like 1989 or something. And apparently he said something like, Hey, Fiona, how, how, how come our movie never came out? <laughs> I think that was oh my God. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm glad that he can laugh about it. I'm glad too. I'm glad that she's okay. Cause I mean, you, she must have thought that this would really launch her career. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if, if somebody came to me and said, "Do you want to star in a movie?" I'd be like, "Well, this is going to be an awful movie, yeah. but I'll do it because you're kind of going to turn down an opportunity." <sighs> I mean, I, I mean, I'll just, I'll play the blind fan that tries to shoot. <laughs> yeah, James Cole. That's fine. I'll do any. Yeah. I'll wear those glasses. It's it, whatever works. I mean, she got to kiss Bob Dylan, and she got to be told "I love you" by Bob Dylan in the worst that's, "I love you" delivery see, ever. <laughs> see, now that I would want. Yeah, I don't want to kiss Bob, but I would love for Bob to say that he loved yeah. me. That would be amazing. Uh, he, so, he, yeah, he goes, ah, shit, I love you. And that's it. He drives away. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> 
And she, that poor girl had to get naked in this movie. She gets That's right. butt, butt ass naked in the scene with the lake while Bob refuses to even take off his boots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh. <laughs> that poor girl. Uh, I, I mean, would, I mean, we were maybe, could you imagine, can you wrap your head on the idea that there might have been a, in another world, there might have been a scene where we saw Bob Dylan's butt as he <laughs> jumps into it like, I think I wanted to see that. Hey, I think we all kind of want to see Bob D- Dylan's butt a little bit. At least Maybe just so. a little bit. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it, I, it always pains me to to have to say anything bad about Bob, mm. you know, because I'm such a – I love the guy so much. And, you know, I think he, everybody – we've all done creative work that hasn't been our best. I've I've certainly have done lots of work – that is it has been out there that I'm sure somebody looked at and went this you know this who is this guy you know what I mean yeah. and you do the best you can in the moment but yeah at the same time you're going to put a movie out in 1986 and you're going to you're basically going to redo Star is Born which as we have seen is an evergreen story right you can just keep making it forever and just refreshing it for the times that you're living in and it works mm-hmm. They've they've done Stars Born four times now, and there's something to be said for all four versions. Yeah. So there's there's nothing wrong with this story. It's just there at no point do any of these characters have have, have any you don't have any emotional stakes in any of them, uh, and the music is really bad. And they're catching Bob Dylan at at again I think his career nadir, and again the only thing that makes it interesting is the weird the sheer weirdness yes of bob dylan wandering around in your movie yes and him just creating chaos wherever he goes that's well i i accept chaos i think is what <laughs> something the man has said at some point so i think we've done i think we're done kicking hearts of fire around yeah. a little bit i very much appreciate you coming by to do this with me Thank because you. again this was something that i've been wanting to get to and i i again like i said i feel bad about pillorying something mm-hmm. because you know hey we all all of god's children deserve to be judged on their best work yeah and i really believe that but at the same time i knew that once i saw that you had the guts <laughs> to put to put hearts of fire stan account in your twitter bio yeah. i'm like this is the only person i can do this with. so oh. i really very much appreciate you doing this i am so glad that you asked me to come on because it has been my dream since i've seen this movie to go on a podcast and talk about it <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I could help uh, put that, check that off on your bucket list. So why don't you tell people where they can find you, sure. where they can find the Hearts of Fire Stan account? <laughs> of course. Well, the Hearts of Fire Stan account is the Bob Dylan account, which probably most of your listeners will appreciate. It's at I Through the Glass. Um, Perfect. But if you want to know me as a person, I am just at Rebecca Slayman, S-L-A-M-A-N. I'm sure my name will be in the title or something. <laughs> All right. Perfect. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, uh, if you want to follow this show, go to the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. We're always talking Bob over on Twitter, which is a pod underscore Dylan. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And then finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and I know you do, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, and Henry Bernstein. I'm going to send you guys some pansies for supporting Pod Dylan. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. I mean, you can't just force me into this because it isn't there! Your trouble is you're so shit scared of the fucking label you don't even think about me. Well, what am I going to do?
Get rid of the pussy, dump the rhythm, and tune it up. Who said that? Robin Hood. 